Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. In this conversation, we're talking about greening gold. Now, if noted commodities experts and rock stars Smash Mouth taught me anything, it's hey now, all that glitters is gold. Yet the World Gold Council is working to make gold more sustainable and traceable. Joining me is World Gold Council CFO Terry Heyman to tell us all about the process of turning gold that little bit more green. Terry, thank you so much for joining us on The Greener Way. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your role at the World Gold Council? Absolutely. And look, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, wonderful to, to be here. And as you say, to talk about green and gold. And uh, I think that's great to do uh, in general and, and not least in, in light of summer's some of Australia's recent sporting triumphs. Anyway, uh, I'm Terry Heyman. I am the CFO at the World Gold Council. In addition to being CFO, I lead our initiatives around sustainability. We do a lot of work with our members who are the world's leading gold mining companies to help support gold as a genuinely sustainable investment, a genuinely sustainable material, uh, and a metal that can support improving the lives of peoples around the world. And I get involved in, in all aspects of that, which is fun. Fantastic. All right. Well, Terry, and we appreciate someone who can be gracious about results at the cricket uh, here at FS Sustainability. Uh, Terry, gold is an essential commodity to the global economy, but it has a number of environmental and social impacts and dependencies. How do you regard improving risk and performance on material ESG issues in the gold sector? So I think what's really important about gold is to recognize different parts of the supply chain. And obviously, the gold comes initially out of the ground, and it's critically important that mining is undertaken responsibly. And frankly, most of the environmental impacts around gold are linked to the mine site. What we are seeing is significant improvements in the way that mine sites address their environmental risks, not least through conformance with the responsible gold mining principles, which is an overarching standard set out all the material, environmental, and social and governance risks that any responsible gold mining company needs to implement and to manage. And what that does through 51 individual principles is set out all of the environmental risks, as well as the social and governance around land use, around closure and reclamation plans, around use of chemicals. This is a uh, overarching guidance document that all of the members of the World Gold Council were involved in developing along with extensive external input and is a condition of membership. So you will now find all the world's leading gold mining companies conforming with the responsible gold mining principles or the RGMPs. And that really provides confidence to users of the metal, to investors in the metal, that that gold has been produced responsibly. Now, of course, that gold takes a journey when it makes its way from the mine site to an end user or, or an investor. And I know that there are efforts ongoing in refiners, through logistics companies, to also improve their environmental performance, not least their carbon footprint. But the bulk of environmental impacts are associated with the mine site, and there's very significant steps being taken to address and mitigate those environmental impacts. We're going to talk a little bit more about the traceability part later in the conversation, Terry, so I don't want to preempt that part of the conversation. Um, but when you talk about this responsible gold policy um, that the World Gold Council has developed, how many companies does this cover How and what proportion of the gold mining industry are we talking about? So we're talking about the majority 
of gold that comes out of large-scale gold mines, by which I mean heavily capitalized industrial gold mines. Our members are large-scale gold mining companies operating around the world, generally listed on stock exchanges. So these publicly listed large industrial companies are the companies that are committed. And, and we have 33 member companies. They comprise about 60-odd percent to two-thirds of the world's listed uh, industrial gold mining companies. What the responsible gold mining principles do not cover are artisanal and small-scale miners. And these, this is a very different type of mining. These are generally individuals or small groups that work predominantly with uh, old-fashioned te technology. They're not heavily capitalized. Uh, and frankly, that's a development issue. And there is work underway. And we are working with partners at the OECD, the World Bank, other development organizations to improve formalization around artisanal and small-scale miners to improve some of those practices. But it's unrealistic to expect them to conform with what is expected from large uh, stock-listed companies. But of those large stock-listed companies, again, approximately two-thirds are members of the World Gold Council. And as I said, conformance with the responsible gold mining principles is a membership requirement. We like to talk about progress, not perfection here at the Greener Way. So it'll be interesting to see how the rollout of this responsible policy um, can actually touch upon some of these artisanal producers um, in the years to come um, as sort of the, the, the floor lifts on standards globally, Terry. Absolutely. And look, I think there is some signs of progress around linking those artisanal miners to more formal parts of the economy, not least the role that central banks can play. We put out some research a couple of years ago looking at a number of central banks around the world in places like the Philippines, Mongolia, Ecuador, who are actually acquiring that gold. As you, I'm sure, know, gold is very important to many, many central banks around the world, including emerging market central banks. And so looking for linkages between those central banks who've got domestic gold production and can actually play a role in improving practices, both environmental and social, around those artisanal small-scale mines is an area that we think has a lot of potential and an area we're investing quite a lot of time and effort at the moment to see what could be done. We'll have to have you back on for another interview in, in later years, Terry. Um, I want to get a little bit more into the sort of the nitty gritty of the policy. Um, obviously, we cannot go through 150 plus indicators within the, the realm of this particular episode. But can you take us through some of the highlights, particularly not just around the environmental impacts, but the human rights and social impacts and then some of the governance standards as well at a sort of a high level? Of course. So look, around environment, we've talked around land use. Obviously, water use and, and, and climate change. And, and I should say, by the way, one of the great opportunities in the gold mining sector is the move to renewables and decarbonizing because so much of carbon emitted in the entire gold supply chain occurs at the mine site. If you can decarbonize the mine site, you essentially decarbonize the entire gold supply chain. So you've got land use, you've got climate and, and water use, responsible use of minerals. Then you've got this area around chemical usage. And cyanide is widely used to gold mining companies. Of course, that needs to be managed very carefully. And there are very strict commitments in place around mm -hmm. how companies, gold mining companies, manage their use of cyanide. On the social side, we're talking about human rights. We're talking about labor rights. We're talking about communities. And one of the areas that we're proud of with the responsible gold mining principles, it was the first voluntary mining standard that really spoke to gender and recognizing some of the historical issues around gender, 
indeed ongoing issues around gender and, and the right of uh, all, all people to be well represented and to have um, appropriate participation uh, and, and to be respected in, in the workforce. So those are all covered un under social. I think those areas around community are really important. And one of the aspects of modern day gold mine that is really taken very seriously by large scale gold mining companies is recognizing their impact, if you like, outside their fence as well as inside their fence. Uh, and that's an area where we've seen significant development uh, and I would argue improvements over the last decade, two decades, is, is that recognition around the social impacts. And then when you look at governance, yes, a lot of it is around, if you like, the nuts and bolts of governance, the policies that companies have in place uh, and the processes that they have to ensure that those policies are enacted. But it does also talk around uh, supply, sorry, around impacts uh, and around understanding the impact that a company has. And one of the topics that's really important for, for gold mining is because so many gold mines are located in, in very remote areas, because that's where the gold is found. All of the easily accessible gold has generally been found. And the vast majority of gold mines are found in pretty remote rural locations. What that means is a gold mining company or a gold mine itself can have a disproportionate impact on the local economy because it is such a large center of economic activity in an area where there may be very little other economic mm -hmm. activity. And that has the potential to create distortions. So understanding the impacts that you create as a gold mine, uh, measuring those, having baselines and assessing those, but also using that for good in terms of supporting social and economic development around the mine site, such that when the mine runs out, which it mm -hmm. inevitably will do, you are not just walking away and, and leaving, but you have helped create a community that is resilient, that has mm -hmm. jobs, that has started to create the opportunities for life beyond the mine site. And that, again, is incorporated in the way that these impact assessments work. So that, in a, in a bit of a gallop, is what's covered. Again, very comprehensive set of individual principles, but really does cover the gamut of environmental, social, and governance uh, risk factors that any responsible gold mine should be paying attention to. So around 150 indicators in less than two minutes, Terry, well done. <laughs> Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the ways in which the, um, the responsible gold mining policy interacts with legislation at both the global and the local levels. Um, so let's take this conversation around modern slavery and human rights, which obviously impacts all sectors of the mining um, industry, not just gold miners. But how does how does this policy and how do the members of the World Gold Council adopt this policy so that they can use it proactively and effectively with local legislation? So first and foremost, let me, let me be clear, legislation, be that from a host country, be that from um, international legislation, international guidance like the OECD uh, due diligence, it is, is always going to be the, the starting point. And, and that is a absolute requirement. And what we have tried to do with the responsible gold mining principles is build on top of that, both to ensure that there is global applicability and, and as you well know, gold miners operate across the world. And I think really mm -hmm. important mm -hmm. that they, they operate to the same standards. And indeed, you are here if you speak to the gold mining companies themselves, their commitment to operating at the same standard, regardless of where they are in the world. So to take those different legislative agendas 
uh, and laws that are in place in different countries and make sure that those are essentially applied uniformly, uh, again, in line with these principles. Specifically around modern slavery, yes, absolutely, that's an area that uh, companies need to, to address. I think all companies need to address. And that's included in terms of the human rights and recognizing human rights and recognizing the proactive steps that gold mines can take to address modern slavery and to ensure that neither they nor importantly, the suppliers they are working with are linked to, to modern slavery. One of the aspects around a mine site is it's fairly self-contained and that mm-hmm. within, th- within the fence, they are able to have pretty high standards about knowing what's going on and understanding the detail of what's going on, including whether there are concerns and obviously that the normal governance um, approaches in place like whistleblowing policies and the like to ensure that concerns can be raised from a wide variety of different places. But importantly, in these communities where they operate, it's really critical to look at suppliers as well and actually ensure that suppliers are operating to those high standards as well. And that's an mm-hmm. area where I think the responsible gold mining principles can take things beyond the, the, the law, beyond the legislative, which really focuses mm-hmm. on the actions of the company itself, to think about supply chain and to think about suppliers and in, ensuring that the extensive due diligence is undertaken on any suppliers you're working with, that they too are operating in conformance with uh, what we would expect any uh, modern day business to be to be operating, including in issues like modern slavery. And how does the responsible mining principles plug into other sets of um, legislation or frameworks around areas like climate change, like the Task Force for Climate Related Financial Disclosures? We haven't even touched on biodiversity with the TNFD. Is there a degree of uh, interoperability between what the principles are asking of members uh, of, of members of the World Gold Council and sort of the the momentum towards increased disclosure around climate and then around biodiversity? Yes, in short. And, and going back to where I started, the intent behind the mm. responsible gold mining principles was to set out this overarching framework that really does include all of the environmental, social, and governance. What we heard, particularly from investors, actually, but also from downstream actors, so people in the jewelry sector and technology, was that it gets very confusing knowing what they need to be asking from the gold mining company where, where that gold originates. That there is such a, as you know, layered approach of different laws and regulations in place that it can become quite confusing as to which of these should you be asking for conformance with, which of these are perhaps outdated or or no longer relevant. And so the Responsible Gold Mining Principles doesn't try to replicate or duplicate what's in existence. It Mm. points to, it specifically references what it is that companies should be doing. For example, TCFD, Task Force for for Climate-Related Financial Disclosure. Um, And and that is included, embedded in the Responsible Gold Mining Principles. So that anybody can pick up the the RGMPs, the Responsible Gold Mining Principles, and and it's right, it's 51 individual principles, not 151, 51 individual principles. (laughs) I was giving giving you a lot of credit for a body of work, apologies. No, not at all. It's still, still, we think, a very comprehensive (laughs) document. But yeah. it's it's designed in a way that is accessible. I hope anybody listening to this podcast could very easily go and pick up the responsible gold mining principles and pretty quickly read through those 51 individual principles and understand what it is that is being committed to. And yes, there are lots of links to 
TCFD or OECD due diligence or the voluntary principles on, on business and human rights. All of those are embedded within this document. But what it means is that anybody who's interested in what the gold mining sector can do and is doing can pick up this single document and it has references to all the overarching international practices. Now, that said, the Responsible Gold Mining Principles were released in 2019. Mm -hmm. We've had a, a three-year implementation window because it's hard. This is not an easy yeah. standard to put in place. When we look back at 2019, uh, the work that is currently ongoing around nature and biodiversity was nowhere near as advanced as it is today. And so mm -hmm. one of the things that we will need to do with our members and again with external input is consider whether there needs to be a revision in light of evolving expectations and the work on biodiversity and nature is a, is a great example of that. And, and that is what you would expect to do with a standard that mm -hmm. is intending to keep up with best practice. Recognize that perhaps every five years there needs to be a revision to make sure that it continues to represent best practice. So at the moment, biodiversity and nature is not in there. My strong mm -hmm. expectation is that the next revision there is, that will then be incorporated. Fantastic. And we'll drop a link to the principles into our show notes so that listeners can go and read up for themselves. Uh, now, Terry, uh, we talked to you earlier about traceability and this issue of the supply chain going from the mine to the end user has sort of run through our entire conversation. Um, it sometimes feels like the solution to everything is a noun, a verb and blockchain, but there is a digitalization play here at the World Gold Council. Can you tell us a little bit about this and how it can specifically address some of these key E, S and G dependencies and risks? Of course. And you're right. There, there is this perhaps panacea that everything can be solved by the blockchain. And, and I don't think we're in that, that space, but undoubtedly mm -hmm. it has a role to play. So let, let me first say about the gold supply chain. What's really unique and distinctive about the gold supply chain is the inherent circularity of gold. Gold is the ultimate recyclable material. Nobody ever gets to the end of wearing a necklace or a bracelet or, or whatever it is and going, all right, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm going to throw it in the bin. doesn't happen. And partly because of the value, but also because of the chemical makeup of gold, gold is just inherently recyclable. And what that means is at the refiner, which is really the step that sits in between the mine and the, the end producer, end product, the refiner collects various types of gold-bearing material, and the traditional practice has been that that is just commingled. It, it all goes into a furnace and out comes shiny new gold. We are starting to see individual single mine of origin gold that is kept discreet throughout the entire mm -hmm. supply chain, but that's the exception rather than the rule. Essentially, mm -hmm. the burden is on the refiner to ensure that any gold that comes into that refiner meets environmental, social, and governance criteria. Now, mm. if you're taking gold from a large-scale newly mined, if a large-scale mine that is newly mm -hmm. mined, that frankly is relatively straightforward to undertake that due diligence because you know where, exactly where that gold comes from. You can ask that mine site if they conform with the responsible gold mining principles. More than ask them to conform, you ask them to show the external assurance that is required mm -hmm. on the responsible gold mining principles. Refiners also take gold from recycled sources. So this is your old necklaces and bracelets, but also your iPhones and computers and electronics, mm -hmm. the majority of which are recycled because of the value of the gold that is in, in every single piece of electronics we use. And so refiners have to ensure that they understand who they are dealing with and that they have good visibility 
into their supply chains for recycled sources of gold. And then we talked a little bit about artisanal, essentially mm-hmm. small-scale, non-industrialized mines. And again, refiners need to undertake due diligence, need to verify that those are credible and that those are operating responsibly. And that's frankly the hardest area for them to do it. And as a consequence, you've seen less and less artisanally mined gold go into mainstream refiners. So Mm. that's the gold supply chain. What we've done at the World Gold Council is work towards enhanced transparency in that gold supply chain. And really two dimensions to that. The first is asking all of our members, indeed asking them to commit to disclosing which refiners they work with. So all Mm. of our members came out early this year and made a public commitment to disclose the names of the refiners where they where their gold goes to in the interests of enhanced transparency and recognizing that enhanced transparency helps essentially uh, identify who are the legitimate actors who are willing to work and deal with other legitimate actors and mm-hmm. who are the other lot okay and we're very much wanting to be in in that first category and all of our members are committed to being in that first category and this enhanced um, disclosure around where the gold goes is part of that commitment to uh, separating out the legitimate actors and and the rest. The other commitment that was made, by again, by our members, world's largest leading responsible gold mining companies, is to commit to putting their data as it leaves the gold room in the, in a refinery, in a, sorry, in a mine site, onto a gold bar integrity platform. And this is, as you said, a blockchain-based database that mm-hmm. essentially will, over time, and these things take time, but mm. will, over time, allow everybody who receives a bar of gold, and mm-hmm. in due course, we would hope, jewelry and other forms of gold, but we're starting with bars of gold because that's the, that's the easiest place to start, would allow them to know that that gold bar has been produced by the, my, the, the refinery that, that bears the stamp, is the weight and is the purity that it says mm-hmm. it is. And over time, you can see how that could be used, that data transfer along the gold supply chain to provide mm-hmm. additional data, including data on the ESG, the carbon emissions, whatever it is. That, that might happen. And, and you can see how this is creating the building block, the foundation mm. to do that. But mm. what we are really putting energy in at the moment is just getting that building block in place so that there is this database for all gold bars and that anybody can have confidence that the gold bar is the gold bar it says it is mm-hmm. came from the refinery where that stamp is that that is the refinery stamp and is the purity that you believe that gold bar to be not least because gold is produced in various different qualities and some gold bars are uh, what's called four nines gold 99.99 percent gold some gold bars are 99.95 percent that there is can be some variation on that so really important to know what you are getting Fantastic. Well, Terry Heyman of the World Gold Council, thank you so much for spending some time with us and explaining how you're greening the gold mining sector. It's been great. Really delighted to be here and thank you for your interest. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Greener Way podcast. If you liked today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allenbeckis. The Greenaway podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. 
The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.